Yeah, so some of you guys, all of you guys online and everybody here, thank you. Um, when we did the wings and worship at their place, Golden Flame Wings, uh, this is one of their employees. She didn't have any front teeth. I don't know if she had bottom teeth either, but she had no teeth. And so as we were sitting there going, this is what Inspire 100 is going to take care of for you. So anything you want to share about, oh, I need, you need a mic. So, oh, you got one. You're, you're ahead of me. So whatever you want to share about Melissa, I can just say, when you guys sent me the picture, I was like, wow, she looks, her countenance, everything changed. She looks she, doesn't she? Yeah, for some of you guys that were there that night and saw her, I'm like, wow, thank you, Father. So thank you guys, all of you guys online that give here to Freedom Ministries and Inspire100.org, because that's awesome. So, Well, I mean, for Melissa, um, and this is from someone who's worked with her for four years, so... Um, Honestly, I mean, I didn't recognize her when, I, when she first came in with them. I mean, I didn't recognize her. <laughs> I was like, wow. And she's just, she's just totally excited. Um, actually, she mentioned to the entire staff, told them what was happening and um, what we were doing for her. And, I mean, she literally broke down in tears. And a lot of the employees um, were there that day. Um, and... It's it's really kind of an amazing thing for her now. I mean, I think she looks better. Um, I don't mean that the way it sounded, but I mean she looks better, um, not just in the fact that she has teeth, but in the fact of how she stands, how she carries herself, how she um, she's excited to be able to smile in front of a guest. And I didn't even realize that she hadn't had them. She told me she told me she had them when I interviewed her, and that was over four years ago. And it's hard for me to picture this because I, didn't, I didn't remember this. But um, shortly after she started working for me, about two weeks, um, she got them knocked out of her knocked them, knocked out of her mouth. And so basically, she's been working for me for like four years, and she's a mom. She's got kids, and they. Um, you know, they, they get by with what they, what they have. I mean, you know what I mean? It's not like they have, um, you know, great insurance and all of that kind of stuff. You, you know, she just, um, but she didn't complain about it. She never really mentioned it. But I think the thing about it is when you don't have that in your mouth, teeth in your mouth or whatever, you kind of, um, I mean, maybe look down a little, kind of don't, um, feel whole, if that makes any sense. I think that's how I would feel. Um, but I can tell you that she's not a person who didn't give. She gave all the time. Um, several of our employees don't have vehicles, don't have cars, don't have a way to work, but they've showed up because she showed up to help them. Um, and so this was really kind of an excitement thing for her. And so um, I just think she looks great. It's awesome. Thank you guys, all you guys online. So if you don't know what that is, inspire100.org. Um, if you, you can either give to freedomministries.org and donate and put in the, uh, what do you call it, comment section, or you can go to inspire100.org. And there's really, I've told this a million times, but there's so many new people getting added every week online that um, my friend, Brant Compton, I, I grew up with a single mom, just like this, that, yeah. junkie cars, uh, you're not going to the, you're not going to the dentist or the doctor because there's no money to pay for it. So you, it's just you just live like that. And uh, uh, I remember my mom walking, walking to uh, to work, and taking care of us seven knuckleheads. And so Brantley was like, you know what? What if we start this thing called Inspire, where we get a hundred people to give a hundred dollars a month? That's ten thousand a month that we can just pick random people like this and show random acts of kindness just to show the tangible love of God. No strings attached. No trying to proselytize. No nothing. Just go, God loves you. And uh, thank you for taking care of your kids. Amen? Amen. So thank you. I get, to, I get all the fun emails and testimonies, but I, that's why I try to share with you guys. So thank you for, for sharing that with us. Isn't that, isn't that fun? It's, I, I, Rhonda, when you sent it to me, I was like, wow. Wow. And James, what you said is accurate. They stand up a little taller. They feel good about themselves. 
when they can look in the mirror and other people, they're not self-conscious about, I don't have any teeth, right? So, amen? So that's just fun stuff. So thank you. Uh, You want some? Oh, the the shirt. So this is the, there's a lot right with this shirt, by the way. (laughs) It's the vineyard at New Clairvaux Abbey. Ridge and Patty, good Serbians. Ridge and Patty Lopovac, probably Lopovac in the old country where we're from. But uh, it's their vineyard there in California where they're at. So there's a monk. They sent me uh, this box, and I thought they were just sending me a shirt. By the way, this is, I can be easily. (laughs) When I got the box, I was like, oh, they're my best friends right now. (laughs) So I started opening it. So thank you. I told them, I go, you guys went over the top. So I opened this box, and I'm going, wow, what's in here? And all of a sudden, this bottle of white wine comes out. And then these glasses and this that wine saver thing, and then this shirt. So it's a monk with two bottles of wine and fat tires in California. Amen? So um, I may not, because church to me is on our back deck with a glass of wine. You've heard me say that. I go, it's just life. It's life more abundantly and just relationships. And uh, I don't think I'm going to save it for you. <laughs> Looks too good. So I'll buy a different one when you guys come. At first I was like, oh, I'll save it for you when you come. But I keep looking at it. Going, no, I don't think so. So, huh? Yeah, so you can bring me another one and we'll share that one. Anyway, thank you. And some of you guys don't know, I just love it. It's like there's people all over the world. And so I go, that'd be fun. Just send, because I love t shirts. And, and uh, so this is just fun. There's people all over. So send me a cool t shirt and I'll wear it as long as it's not too raunchy. It's called uh, the, the Vineyard at New Clairvaux, the Abbey at New Clairvaux Vineyard. C-L-A-I-R-V-E-A-U-X. Is that how you spell it? Clairvaux? What is that in French? Clearview? What is that? Huh? I don't know. Huh? I don't know. Uh, yeah, this is much, uh, that's as good as I can get. So anyway, that's what that is. So, hey, a couple testimonies. This is going to be pastor and Bible school night for these testimonies. They're just fun. So uh, first one... Um, Ashley, Jennifer shared this with us in our prayer group the other day. But uh, So Jennifer O'Fallon, they're in South Carolina, her and Jean. Um, and so she, she said that two years ago she was taking shots for her allergies. I guess like steroid shots. Is that what people take? Um, and so just being sitting under the good news for two years now, she shared uh, in South Carolina they have all these pine trees and because I walked out and there was pollen everywhere. We get that here, right? There's that green, yellowish mist of everything. And she goes, I realized I don't even have allergies anymore. Isn't that cool? That's just the good news. Kind of what we were talking about, Dennis. When you hear the good news, your body heals. It's just, if you sit under it and hear it, it just heals up, which is just a beautiful thing. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, that's fun. Um, and then uh, let's see. Here's what's really, what I really love is, is pastors are coming from all over now and uh, just seeing it. They're seeing what's been in Scripture all the time, this, this mystery that's been hidden for ages but is now revealed, which is the, the Messiah, the anointed one in humanity. Isn't that cool? And that God was in Christ reconciling the entire creation to himself. Now go share this amazing news of reconciliation. So uh, this is, um, I'll share a couple of them, then I'll, I'll share one uh, so this is a pastor in Tennessee who, he, he wrote this. He said, uh, and we communicate back and forth. He said, I just want to take a moment to thank you for sharing the good news and blessings you, er, to everyone you meet, including my family. We're learning to live in the light of God's goodness and are sharing it with others and are seeing riches and miracles all around us. I've almost seen this for years, but now it's like scale, scales that are falling from my eyes. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I love that. And this is a friend that uh, has gone through Bible school. And um, if I can find it. All right, this is kind of fun. So, and he had shared with me uh, when we started the love code, he's like, oh boy, right? Because that's pretty cool, actually, when you see it is, you know, um, some of the testimonies in there are pretty great, where Dr. Ben we actually went out and met with him in, in California, and uh, he used to live here, and he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's, and how many of you guys know there's no cure for Lou Gehrig's, but he's healed from Lou Gehrig's, amen? So uh, 
anyway, so this is what this friend said. He goes, hey, Mike, it was three years ago today. You were teaching out of the love code for the third Sunday in a row. The first two weeks, I totally ignored you. <laughs> Just knowing him, it's funny to me. So it's okay. So, but by the third week, I decided to buy it. Uh, it's, you know I'm laughing with you because it's, it's just funny. Uh, the book revolution my, revolutionized my life. I spent 24 of the, next 33, of the next 30 months reading it, rereading it until it became a part of me. It gave me a new foundation from which to view life and numerous changes have come as a result. Thank you for your teaching things that are not traditional theology. I love you, Mike. You're a wonderful man. And he, he had just shared with me recently. He's like, my wife and I have been the freest we've ever been in our life. That's the message I get nonstop, guys. I, I show my wife that emails are going, it's just freeing. See, rules and religion keep you in bondage is what Galatians says. And, but freedom gets you free. That's really a fascinating thing. So, and this is a great one too. This is, uh, this is a pastor from Illinois, Pastor Paul. and says, uh, uh, good morning, Mike. This is Paul, who you've graciously communicated with. I want to communicate a testimony to you from our church. I've been listening to you since January 2019, so a little over a year, and studying what you've been communicating about prayer. I've read the material that you've referenced, and as a traditional charismatic, I've had to wrestle with the idea of what it means to pray and the applications of all the spiritual disciplines. I've become convinced that there's so much more to prayer than traditional teaching that I've received as well as I have taught, actually. As a pastor, I've been asking God how to introduce this to my church, and God gave me the opportunity. The past Christmas season, as many churches do, we planned a large event for the families of the church and community, which took place in December. The Monday preceding their December event, one of the organizers became very ill with shingles. She broke out with sores all over her face and was in great pain. She came into the church to attempt to get some work done while nobody was around. I happened to be in the building and I saw her. We spoke and I assured her that we, we could do what needs to be done, but please go home and take care of yourself. I then prayed a prayer that would sound like I had a lot of faith, but truly I had none. Boy, I've seen that a zillion times, haven't you? I can remember even as I was praying, thinking, this is a waste of my breath. <laughs> and after I said amen, I said to the woman I was praying for, hey, would you be willing to try something that I've been learning about? She said, yes. I asked her to close her eyes, take a deep breath, and still her heart. Then I asked her, can you imagine what it would look like to be completely healed? We stood there for a moment, and she indicated that she had a visual of herself healed. I then encouraged her to allow that picture to just grow, grow up in her imagination and tell me what it feels like. This took a little longer, but I began to see the corners of her mouth turn upward in a smile. She rested in that for a moment and I asked her to just say thank you. She said thank you and I encouraged, and I encouraged as you have been teaching just to go back to that place in her imagination of the vision of her already being healed anytime she wanted. The following day, I was not at church, but I heard a report from the other team members that they said I needed to follow up with her. She told me she went to bed remembering what it felt like in the moment of prayer to be healed. And when she woke up the next morning, then he puts all bold. Every open sore was completely gone. There was pink new skin where each open sore had been present. The only evidence that she had been stricken with shingles was one scab that's, that remained. This testimony has totally changed how we do our ministry and we focus on who is already present within us. Thank you for teaching on what is available in the kingdom of God right now. Many testimonies more to come to the glory of Jesus. Pastor Paul. Isn't that cool? I'm getting a ton of those guys. I'm telling you, these pastors are starting to catch it and getting rid of this angry God, which is thank you. Father. Amen. Is that good? All right. So um, let's get into some good news here. Amen. That's all good news, I guess. But uh, um, let's just go to that, uh, that first slide. And this is, this is classic, what Beth was sharing tonight. We never communicate, but it's always right on. Almost like God knows what he's doing. But this is, uh, this is just something from Francois de Troyes that I picked up a long time ago. Most of you have been taught sin is you did something bad, haven't you? Yeah. And so sin really just means missing the mark if you look at it in Greek. <clears throat> and homart- it's actually the same thing in the Hebrew too, homartia. And so sin is singular. Symptoms are plural. It's been a sonship thing from the beginning. No wonder Jesus says freedom indeed is found in the truth of our authentic and redeemed sonship. Even the other brother, who was that? The older brother, right? This kind of ties into what I'm sharing tonight too. The older brother was always the first one, but God always gives preeminence to the second one. The, The first, the hairy man, then the second man, the smooth man. First, the physical man, then the spiritual man, right? So it's over and over and over. There was an old covenant, and then there's a 
new covenant. There was an old song, and then there's a new song, right? The old heaven and earth, and then there's a new heaven and earth. If This is where it really gets fun. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, how many things have already been made new? All. All. It's one of Paul's alls, right? And so anyway, uh, even the elder brother, the father was pleading with my son, you've always been with me, and how much that the father has is the older brother's? Everything. Everything. Amen? So sin is not about things you do or don't do. Sin is missing out on sonship. See, to a Jew, as I've been sharing, sonship means a lot of things. Really important to them. Because once you were bar mitzvahed and you were made a son, you were co-equal with the father. Now, that's a shocking thing. But all, the, all of the narratives and the metaphors in Scripture about being the bride of Christ, this mystery that Paul shares in Ephesians, he, he talks about human marriage and then he gives us the zinger at the end. He goes, but I'm not even talking about human marriage. I'm talking about Christ being one with the church. So there's union. And so the father being one with the son. As a, as a, uh, as a son, you, you couldn't be called a son until you're bar mitzvah, meaning an owner of the house, an equal of the house. You represented the house. And so same thing with the husband-wife narrative. Two have become one. It's this great mystery. So you've become one with who? Christ. So you've become one with how many? Oh, isn't that amazing? Now, isn't that mind-bending if you actually think about it? So when you pray, you carry the same weight as who? Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the whole kit and caboodle. Isn't that amazing? So that, once you start to get that, you're going, wait a minute. When I pray, that's what Jesus was saying in, in, uh, in the book of John is, is probably the best, really, where he's going, listen, there's so many things I want to tell you, but you're not ready for it. But I'm going to send you with the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to remind you of all the things I've taught you. And you're going to realize that I'm in you, you're in me, and we're in the Father together. We're in union completely. And then that day, all fear is going to go away, and you're going to cry out, Abba, he's my dad. And to a Jew, if he's my dad, that means I'm a son, I'm a joint heir of the Father. Everything the Father owns, how much do you own? all. Moves all lust, guys. Once you realize you can freely receive everything the Father already has, there's no reason to lust for it. Amen? So, anyway. Oh, by the way, hey, Air Force Academy guys, you know I went there. You know that? Are you, what, so you're uh, 2023. Yeah? What's your color? Bold gold. That's how I was. That's what my girlfriend was, too. And she, they still have stop out where you can go play hooky for a year? Oh, they did? So she was 91, bold gold, and then she took a year off. And then a... True blue 92 losers. <laughs> so how do they do it now? You one year or two years, two years? How do they do it? How do you guys split up? Oh, you can after your freshman year even? Oh, see, I would have never come back. Uh, that's why I, she was smart. She, she came back. I was like, there's no way. I go party with my friends again. There's, I'm not coming back. So uh, um, you guys want to fly? Yeah, who's flying? No? Two, two are flying, two aren't? Yeah? Anybody want to be an aeronautical engineer? Why not? It's quite important. Yeah, I was crazy enough to do it. That's just, uh, yeah, so I was an aeronautical engineer. So anyway, um, huh? Still mildly stupid, right? And uh, no, hey, awesome. Do you get recognition yet or no? Oh, this Thursday? So this is hell week? Oh, so this is, this is not quite hell week anymore? No. What is it? It's our recognition is even this is the first year they're changing it to be a lot more like practical. It's not all physical. It's oh. being trained on all kinds of different knowledge. Well, let me tell you, when I was there, no, I won't do that. <laughs> no, appreciate you guys. It's, you're, you're, the tough part's over. You guys know that, right? Yeah, once recognition, then you're good to go. Amen? Yeah, so. You guys got good sponsors? Yeah, that, that makes a difference, huh? Yeah, cool. Anyway, let's give these guys a hand. Appreciate you guys. So my wife, say hi. Sorry I didn't say hi. Yeah? Awesome. Awesome, awesome. So anyway, it's, uh, yeah, 
People always ask me, would you do it again? No way, but that, you don't know enough when you go, so just, just stick with it now, right? Or you can use it as Yusafa Junior College. Go for a year or two years, and then that's what my roommate did, and then he graduated from ASU. He graduated from ASU, so anyway. All right. Okay, so, hey, we've been talking about Noah's Ark and all these stories, and so I want to share with you just a couple things. So what do we do with these angry God stories, right? Well, if you read the Old Testament, it seems like God's kind of ordinary, doesn't it? And he's like bashing babies' heads against rocks and, um, and drowning. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, like, how, how can we understand this? So when we had the with fires here, and uh, some of you guys remember, it was, it was coming in so fast, and like all the ranchers that were around us, and uh, Flying W Ranch and everything, this fire is coming in, and all these animals are in danger. And so the ranchers and at Flying W Ranch, they just, they just took trucks and drove through the fences so the animals could get out, right, and weren't consumed in the forest fire. That makes us feel good, doesn't it? That we have compassion. But somehow we've been taught these stories that God would, would drown every human being, and drowning doesn't sound like a good way to die, does it? So if we, if we take the flood narrative as literal, somehow this loving God who loves everyone, who's never kept record of wrong, is willing to drown every human being except eight. So you better be part of that eight. Um, and virtually every innocent animal. What do the animals have to do with this? See? But if you're going to take it... Now, here's what's really interesting. Most humans that I run across, honestly, they have more compassion for animals than human beings. I really mean that. It's really true. It's kind of sad, but it's really true. Because they become like the, the God that they worship. Yeah, because it's easier because they're innocent, right? But what's really interesting is the father looked at us as innocent. It's like for me to see an like, animal hit by a car, I can't handle it. Yeah, so, so how about... <laughs> that's, total, that's kind of a guy thing, too. We, we got to stare and look and... We're just crazy, I know. So, but, but I think about this. Is, so we, how can you trust a God, honestly, that would drown every human being almost and, uh, and virtually every animal? But we have a hard time. De- except if, we, if these farmers in Flying W, if they would just let that, all those animals just perish in the fire, were consumed, whether it was a flood or whether it's a fire, we would go, that's just not right. So somehow we're saying we have more mercy we have more love than the Father who's the source of love. You see where our problem comes. So how does this work? So if we have this angry God, all these stories of destruction, of fire, um, it seems like somehow he's unloving and unmerciless. So what do we do with things? And this is what I've been really trying to share with you guys is because this idea of Scripture is totally inerrant, um, and if you want to believe that, that's fine. It's just really that is a 200-year-old doctrine. That scripture is infallible and inerrant. Was really, it's really not that old of a doctrine. We're, we're really ignoring 1,800 years of tradition, traditional Christianity. And so I wanted to go back and go, what did the first four or 500 years, Polycarp and Irenaeus, and that's where Brad and Baxter and all these guys are so great. And oh, by the way, some of you guys that have ever followed Peter Ann's, the, uh, he has a podcast called The Bible for Normal People. It's really good. And uh, he kind of jokes on there. He goes, I realize that Paul... Apostle Paul could not teach in the Bible school, the seminary where he was learning about Paul because Paul introduced all these stories as allegory. That's how he interpreted them, where we took it as literal. So if you wanted to literally read the Bible, we should probably read it how Jesus wrote it and how Paul read it. Wouldn't it be good? They looked at all those Old Testament stories as types and shadows, but not the real thing or allegory, a story. Does that help you guys? So if you really wanted to lead it literal, it's not taking it literally. All this destruction, these floods, is everything else. It's going, what's the deeper meaning behind all this? What's the allegory behind it? That's a more literal reading of the scriptures. So that was hard for a lot of you guys because you're like, why do you want the flood so bad? <laughs> why do you want it to consume every human being? Or why do we want hell so bad, right? That's a fascinating thing. So um, anyway, I, just, I looked up allegory in, on Google. You can look it up on Wikipedia and Webster's, whatever you want. A story, a poem, or a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. That's exactly what Scripture says. Jesus said the same thing on the road to Emmaus. He says, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets are written about who? 
him. So these flood narratives and, and the destruction and, and uh, the wiping out of entire, the Philistines and all the ites, right? What's that all about? Is it literal or is it allegory? Jesus said it was allegory. He said it's written about me because you search the scriptures and when Jesus says, I search the scriptures, what scriptures were written at the time? The law, the Psalms, and the prophets. That's what all was written. So when he says, I searched the scriptures, he wasn't going through the book of Acts or John. They were searching the past scriptures, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And he says, you search those scriptures diligently day and night, but you cannot find life because you don't realize those stories testify about me. They were taking them literal, all these stories. So anyway, uh, we're gonna fix a lot of that tonight, amen? I think it'll really help you. So God is love, he's light, he's a consuming fire. Doesn't he say those are the things he identifies with? I'm love, I'm light, I'm a consuming fire. So in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, he says agape is this. Agape never keeps record of wrong. Agape is patient, it's kind, it's merciful, it's long-suffering. All these different things. That sounds different than the God that most of you I grew up with, isn't it? The God I grew up with, because Dutch Reformed, my father was Catholic, um, if you get out of line, he whacks you, right? Wait a minute, I thought he was patient. I thought he, was, I thought he never kept a record of wrong. So those stories, the destruction, all those different stories I'm gonna show you were really about consuming everything, every wrong idea that Beth was talking about, every idea of sin, meaning anything that thinks less of myself than how God sees me. That was missing the mark. Now, it causes all kinds of bad behavior. Follow me? But if we're just trying to correct behavior, stop doing this, don't do that, there's no, there's no power in it. There's no source really in it because we haven't fixed the root. And the root is fear, judgment, condemnation, guilt, shame that us humans carry around. And he's going, you know what? Your redeemed identity, the true idea of who you are is a perfectly loved son and daughter that have never kept any record of wrong. Before the foundation of the world, you were found in me. Those are all scriptures. Isn't that interesting? So what is all this stuff? If he came to give us life and life more abundantly, I mean, think about it. When Jesus showed up at a funeral, what happened? <laughs> life. Life happened, right? So somehow, but this is the same guy that he, he showed up at a funeral and his enemy of death was so, I can't stand that last enemy of death. He's still gonna kill all humanity almost. They don't fit. So once we start getting that, the consuming fire, his love, his light, his wrath, which is the Greek word orge, is his passion for us. He goes, my wrath will remain on you until you get it. And I'm gonna burn up every wrong idea of who you think I am as the loving God and who you are thinking that your guilt, shame, all these different things. And all that's gonna be left is silver, gold, and precious stones. That's scripture, amen? We'll even cover the scary stuff in Revelation about the lake of fire and brimstone. Sound good? Guess what? It's actually really positive. So let's go to this next, uh, next slide real quick. So all right, just a little review. So this is the flood narrative. Okay, now if you must believe that God drowned everybody, okay, I just think you're gonna have a really hard time trusting a God like that ultimately. Something's gonna happen and there's gonna be this judgment. Um, and so Genesis 6-4, you know the, the whole thing. So there were giants. Now King James says Nephilim. Now, gosh, if you turn on Christian television, there's these guys like trying to find dinosaur bones and stuff and go, this was one of the giants. And come on, really? So we, we really believe that they were superhuman things that came down and had sex with the women and then produced these crazy things called Nephilim. But Jesus said the law, the Psalms and the prophets are written about him. And I don't see him talking about giants came in and had sex with women and now I got to destroy everybody because of that. Do you see him doing that in the scriptures? Does he ever change? So if he came the first time and he goes, I didn't come to judge you, I came to heal you and he's never going to change. Let's look at it. So in the fall, literally, N-A-P-H-A-L, in the fall is just lies if you go look at it. It says the earth was filled with lies. We believed lies about ourselves. Adam and Eve were deceived by the diablos in Greek. Dia is because of, and balos is the fallen mindset. And it says they were deceived. So deceived means you believed a lie. 
So nephal is lie. Nephilim is just plural. When you add a yod and a mem to the, any noun in Hebrew, it makes it plural. Like el, el is God. Elohim, when you add the, the yod and the mem, it becomes God's. Right? Nephal is lie. When you add the yod and the mem, nephilim, it becomes lies. So here's what he says. There were giants, there were or lies in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they, they bore children to them. The same became mighty men, which were old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness was, of man was great in the earth and that every, here's, here's this, starting to show us really what's going on here. Every what? Imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So in scripture it says, guard your what? Hearts and minds because out of it are the issues of life. Follow me? So if you're believing the wrong thing in your heart and mind, what are you going to produce? Strongholds or giants or wrong belief in thinking of who you are and who God is. You guys got it? So God's going to destroy all of that ultimately because he is love. And John tells us, how many of you guys want eternal life? Most of us decided it on fear. At least I did growing up and going, well, I'm not stupid. Um, if all I need to do is say those words, I'm in. I can go drink a lot of beer and play rugby at the academy and chase her. I'm in. Done. Got it. I'm not stupid. Right? I'll say those words. But there was no transformation. I was going, sure, I'll say those words. God, really? That's it? But I felt empty. I was going, nothing changed to me. It's, like, this is crazy to me. So what's going on? So when we believe the wrong thing, and then it's, if we go down to verse 8, but Noah, which means rest, literally, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so Noah in Hebrew is just means rest and from right to left, but it says Noah. <clears throat> They've got a vav, which is a picture of a man or a nail. And then noon, which is the seed of life. And chet, that last letter, is an inner room. And so when it said, Noah, make for yourself an inner room, an inner chamber made of wood. And then he says in there, pitch it inside and out. But I showed you last week, if you look at the Hebrew, it says, and what you do inside that inner room is exactly what you're going to experience on outside the room. Sounds like the Lord's Prayer and the parable of parables, doesn't it? So here's what he's literally saying. All sin is missing the mark. God says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, didn't he? He's only life. Like I said, if he came to a funeral, life happened. Follow me? So he's not going to change all of a sudden because uh, um, even a lot of the grace preachers, I was, reading, I was looking at some of them today and just watching kind of what they're doing and they're going, um, well, this was before the cross, but after the cross, he's happier. Well, then something happened because it, he's not changeable. There's no shadow. There's no turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't give me this. He was different before the cross and different after. I've heard almost every grace preacher teach that. That still makes me uneasy because they're going, wait a minute. I know I'm not that cool and I mess up every now and then. And if he was willing to whack him then, somehow now because he got his pound of flesh, he's going to like me. That's not love. That's not forgiveness. That's, I still feel a little guilty, right? Somehow I'm supposed to really be excited about that. And so here's what he's saying. You, the flood of lies. So if he came to give us life and life more abundantly, but we don't think we're worthy to receive it, are we really going to experience it? No, because he says your heart and mind are the, where the springs of life come from. And if, but if you don't believe it here, which is just faith, being persuaded of something, you're not going to experience it. That's just the new covenant. And so here's what he's really saying. He goes, here's how you overcome every lie in your life, every Nephilim, all these giants that whether it's abundance, whether it's lack of health, whether it's uh, lack of joy, whether it's lack of love, all these giants and ultimately death. Right? That's the last enemy that's going to be destroyed. And he, he conquers death by death. We'll show you that in Revelation. It's pretty fun. But he's like, I've conquered everything and I've done all the work and now you're my son and daughter. And I just want you to receive what I've done. Well, how do we do it? We do it by planting the seed of life in the inner room. And what the Father sees us do inside the Lord's Prayer, we're going to experience outside. You see how the, Noah is removing all the wrong lies that we believe about ourselves and God. Isn't that better? It's way better. And that's how Paul and Jesus interpreted the Old Covenant stories. But what about the flood? <laughs> so I'm trying to help you guys because I got a lot of that. I was like, wow. These, these Christians of love sure like killing everybody. It's a fascinating thing. So 
That sounds like the parable of parables. And Jesus said, if you don't understand the parable of parables, you're going to miss everything I taught. Because I teach in parables, and without a parable, I teach not. Isn't that what he said? So did he teach in parables or not? Well, according to your book, he said he, he, he taught in parables. You guys okay with this so far? All right, let's keep going. Let's go to this next slide. So that's just a little. All right, Romans 9.9. 9. So this is where we get into um, uh, all these different things where Esau I hated, but Jacob I loved. Does that sound like love? So what's going on? I'm going to show you. Because Galatians, it talks about it too. So Romans 9, 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time will come, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah was married to who? Abraham, right? So Abraham, if we're going to take scripture literally, Abraham and Sarah, they're not having any kids. They're not producing anything. So what happens? You guys know the story, right? They go, hey, go have this little deal with Hagar and go produce a, a son, Ishmael. Follow me? All right. So he says, this time will come and Sarah shall have a son. Not only this, he's going to give us another example, but Rebekah also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. So Abraham gave birth to Isaac and Ishmael, right? Two different moms is what, what it says. And then he's telling us what kind of what this is about. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not born yet, neither having done good or any evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but to him that calleth, or surnamed, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you part of the family is what a calling is, right? I've shared with you a zillion times. To, to be named, believing in the name of Jesus is not being able to, to quote, I believe in Jesus. Scripture even says, well, even the fallen mind, the Diablos believe in Jesus, big deal, right? What, is, what does believing in the name of Jesus really mean? I'm a family member. My kids are Popovich, but he goes, there's a name above every name. And you're surnamed a member of God's family. That's what believing in the name of Jesus is, right? So once you believed in that name, like, you kidding me? That's my source. I'm a, I'm a family member of God. That's really what believing in the name of Jesus is. So anyway, um, the children not being born yet, meaning this wasn't their deal. Isaac and Is- or, uh, Jacob and Esau in this case with Rebekah, hadn't done anything yet, but God tells them, it was said unto her, the older shall serve the younger. So who was born first in those examples? In Abraham, who was born first? Ishmael. With Isaac, who was born first? Esau. Both of them, according to custom and Jewish custom, the firstborn would receive the father's blessing, right? But God is showing us that goes, my ways are not your ways, I'm going to show you the second son is what always receives the blessing to show you that there's no humanity or works or flesh involved in this thing. It's all by promise. I promised you're going to be my son and I'm going to come through. That way we can't earn it. So if we didn't earn it, we can't lose it. You understand that? Because if we, if we think we earned it, two things are going to happen. You're either going to really feel really guilty because you know you're not that good. Feel shameful because gosh, I just, I should, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I should be way beyond this. I, I get that all the time. So now you don't feel worthy to receive. Or you think you're so awesome. Look at all these rules that I've followed. I'm way better than him or her, whatever. And you become a self-righteous turd, <laughs> right? That's the older brother in that story. He's like, listen, I've done all these things. I've served you from the whole time. That guy who wasted his inheritance in Vegas comes back and you put the royal robe on, the ring on, and the slippers, and he gets to feed on the fat calf in the house? That's not fair. Look at all the work I've done. What does God say? Man, come into the house. Everything I've had has always been yours. Cool? You starting to get this? So then he says, the elders should serve the younger. So, <clears throat> so, I'm getting my narratives mixed up. Um, So Isaac and Ishmael, who's going to serve who? Ishmael is going to serve Isaac. In Esau and Jacob, Esau is going to serve Jacob. The flesh comes first. The spirit comes second. I have given you dominion over the earth, the flesh, the physical, right? By what? The spiritual. 
That's what he's talking about here. So the elders shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, if we take scripture literally, not looking at it as allegory, we're going to think perfect love hates somebody. And you can put anybody in there. You can put Muslims, homosexuals, Democrats, whatever you want to put in there, right? <laughs> whatever your choice is. is uh, because we believe, if we believe God does that, guess what we become? We start doing it. We become like the God we worship, amen? But what is he telling us? If God is only love, does he say he's only love? All right. So if we take scripture as inerrant, which is really a 200-year-old philosophy and it keeps so many Christians in bondage. Guys, I'm not... If you, treat, if you take scripture as inerrant, the letter kills, is what Paul says. It'll kill you. You'll start causing it to... You'll use the book to start condemning people, which is exactly what the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. And that's where when Jesus comes and it says, the book says we should kill this woman caught in the, adult, the act of adultery. Does it say that? So was God wrong? Or did he write it in allegory? And then they turn to Jesus. Is Jesus God? I, well, it says he is, right? And then they turn to Jesus. Says The book says we should kill this woman. And then they turn to Jesus and ask him, <laughs> how do you interpret it? But what do you say is what scripture says. And what does Jesus do? I've taught you this all the time. He writes on the temple floor and he says, who, it says sand in King James, but he's in the temple floor. He's in Solomon's temple. So he writes on the floor and he says, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And what happens? All the old guys fade away. Son of a gun. You got me, right? And then he writes on the temple floor a second time and he says, where are your accusers? None, Lord. Neither I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Never have an idea of that I came to judge you. I came to sozo you, to heal your heart. To let you know you're a daughter of Abraham. You're perfectly loved. I don't require, uh, I don't recover a pound of flesh. Love simply forgives. Now go and know you're this daughter totally receiving my love and inheritance. That's what that whole thing's about. So the first set of stones was, was written on stone. Moses comes down the mountain and they break them. The second set of stones, he says, or the second writing on the temple floor, he says, don't put these, don't show these to the people. What does he tell you to do with the second commandment? Put it into the mercy seat, which is you and I, is what Paul tells us, amen? I'm gonna write my teachings where? On your heart. Got it? See how it all fits together? Pretty cool, isn't it? So if God is only love, we take scripture as inerrant versus allegory, we've got serious challenges, don't we? We're going, God loves Jacob, but he hates Esau. What did Esau do? That's what he said. Esau didn't even do anything yet. He's not even born, right? What's it about? So we would have to say God is not loving to Hagar and Ishmael. Wouldn't we have to say that? If we're going to take the old covenant, literally, the Bible clearly says, hey, throw out Ishmael and Hagar. Throw them out. Would God, whose perfect love, ever throw out people? Not his beautiful, loving creation. Now, if you grew up evangelical, which all of us pretty much did in the Western church versus the early church, that's the, that's the accepted doctrine. Yeah, God, yeah, he doesn't like those guys. But I'm smart enough to say the magic words, so he likes me. What a messed up deal. We're missing the whole thing, how scripture is written. So <clears throat> he's not loving to Hagar and Ishmael. He hated Esau. Wait a minute, I thought perfect love keeps no record of wrong. He's, there's no shadow in perfect love. He loves. Love is just love. It's agape. Love is giving. It's, it's kind. It's beautiful. How did he hate Esau was still in the womb? Well, maybe we should interpret it how Paul and Jesus interpret it. Paul tells us in Galatians 4, he says, those two stories were not actually God hating Isaac, or Hagar and Ishmael. What were the stories about? Two covenants is what he says. And this is an allegory. Allegorio is what it says in, in Greek. This is a story with a deeper meaning is what allegory means, right? So it's not literally saying these two women represent two covenants. The first one on, on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was not in the promised land. Mount Sinai was outside the promised land, which corresponds to the physical Jerusalem, which is in slavery with its people. And it still is, is what it says. But the Jerusalem, which is above, is the second covenant, which is Sarah, who's the mother of us all. So he says, throw out that old covenant where you had to perform in order to receive my blessing because the spiritual has dominion over the physical. He goes, Sarah is the mother of how many? Go read it. It says all. So he's going, Sarah is the mother of Isaac and Ishmael, really, because it's about two covenants, not about physical moms and, and births. You guys got it? 
Go read it. I don't have time to go through it again, but um, you have to start going, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. TBN needs to get a hold of this. <laughs> because Ishmael to them was, Ishmael's all the Muslims. But their book says Ishmael is Jerusalem and the Jews. Uh-oh. Now what? So, <clears throat> we would say that instead of the, he, he, if we're going to say that, that he hated all these things, we would have to say, would we not, that he, he's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because if he hated Esau and he hated Hagar and Ishmael and says, throw those people out, they won't be inheriting with my kids, the sons of promise. But after the cross, then he changed. Now he's cool. See the issues we have. So what is the fire of the destruction? I'm trying to get you to understand something. The fire of the destruction is, and Paul and Jesus talk about this, it's burning up everything that would keep you from enjoying the life and the love that he freely gives. Amen? That's where I love, like Jennifer's testimony. As soon as she started seeing that God is only good and he's only love, and there's no record of wrong. He never keeps a record of wrong of her because love just loves. Ah, the body starts to heal. Uh, businesses start to go, right, Dennis? It just stuff starts to happen because you start to expect the blessing because it's not by your works, it's by whose works? His works. You inherit. So anyway, all the destruction, anger, hatred is for anything that would keep you from perfect love and the beautiful inheritance provided as loving father. That's sin. Sin is going, I think God's angry with me, Adam and Eve narrative, right? But he says, I preserved the way, I preserved the way back to the Garden of Eden, which is the three Hebrew letters. He goes, I preserved a way back to delight, uh, desire, all the feminine things that a bride would love. Like Psalms 37 talks about. I preserved the way to daintiness, delight, and desire and it's between the two cherubim on the east end of the garden, which we've showed you a zillion times. The cherubim in the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim on the end of the garden, in the temple. Paul ultimately tells us, don't you get it? All those stories are about you. And the Ark of the Covenant that's carried on two acacia poles on the shoulders of priests is really you. You're the temple. You're, you have two cerebrum, the cherubim, those things because what you believe there and what you plant here is your way back to Eden, which is what we see within is the doorway to life. That's literally what Eden means. Isn't that interesting? So Noah's Ark, create an ark within of acacia wood. It actually doesn't say acacia. What does it say? Maybe it says acacia. But wood is always symbolic of humans. We're, we're, we're wood and we're gold and silver is what scripture talks about. So you guys got it? Some of you guys are going to have to catch up and go back to some old stories. But... Uh, the destruction, anger, hatred is to remove anything that would keep you from seeing that he's perfect love and he's already freely given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Cool? You guys good? So let his consuming fire burn up everything that says God is not love. It consumes all guilt, shame, fear, feelings of unworthiness. But what about Revelation? Should we go there? What about fire and brimstone and Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's go to this next scripture. So, All right. Revelation. First of all, let's start in Revelation 1. Oh, by the way, I should, I should share this with you. If you go look at how Scripture was literally canonized, you guys know that Revelation was not in the original canon. It's true. They bartered. They had a caucus. <laughs> they literally did. So they got together and go, are you for Bernie? Or for, you know? It really was put together that way. It's kind of like it kind of rocks your scriptures inerrant. And, but if you actually go look and study it, so I would just share this with you. Revelation was not one of the books originally added. Revelation and Hebrews were two that were kind of bartered. I go, we'll give you Hebrews if you give us Revelation. This was years after the original canon. Isn't that interesting? So please do not use the book of Revelation where it says at the end, do not, anything, do not add anything to this book. So we're using that as proof text to a book that was added to scripture years later. Weird, right? So don't worry about that stuff. Because if he keeps no record of wrong, he's not that concerned. Follow me? Because the second set of writings or commandments is written where? On your heart, right? So, all right. So Revelation 20.10. Revelation 1 says the apocalypsis of who? The Antichrist? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so apocalypsis 
means the unveiling, meaning I can finally see Jesus for real. And that was what happened to Shaul, to Paul. Saul was at the, the stoning of Stephen, killing Christians in the name of God because his book said to do it, right? The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So Shaul, this shin, Ray Lynn and I have been talking about this a lot. Shin in Hebrew is a consumer, a devourer. It's big teeth, right? It's like the naked mole rat's teeth. Follow me? So it's these big teeth, and Shaul was the consuming leader. Shin Lamed. Lamed is this, it's a, like a staff, and it's a leader it's a, in Hebrew. So he became, he went from the Shaul, the consuming leader, where God's consuming everybody, to Paul. The Shin was replaced with Pei, Pay is the, of the mouth of a human, the proclamation, the voice, the logos, the word, to the proclaiming leader. So Shaul saw a great light. Those scales come off his eyes. Instead of a, seeing God as the consumer, he sees God as the proclaimer of good news. It's so, it's so awesome once you start understanding scripture. So the, re, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. So the title tells us a lot. Um, I remember this from my M5. Do you guys still have M5? Tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said. That was my speech from M5, military class, right? <laughs> so I remember some of that stuff. That was good. That was good. I got that out of M5. So, um, so whatever this is, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, he identifies himself with love. He identifies himself with light. Revelation is what light is. And he identifies himself with a consuming fire. So whatever his love, his light, and consuming fire is, it has to be in Jesus' nature and character, does it not? Otherwise, he changes. So let's read Revelation 20. Because Revelation is one of those where people don't go and they say Trump is the Antichrist and it used to be Obama and Clinton. and Now it's, I don't know who they pick. So, but they can't read apparently because John, John in it says, the spirit of the Antichrist is here already. Anti means denying the anointing in humans. Go to most churches, they're going to deny the anointing in humans until you say the magic words. Then they jumped into you. So they weren't alive, but now they're alive. How? Weird, right? So, all right, Revelation 20. And the devil, that, that word is what? Diablos. It's not capitalized. It's not ontological is what the, the, the scriptural scholars would tell you, meaning it's not a created entity. It's a lie that we've believed. Follow me? And Diablos literally means dia, which is because of, and balos is the, the cast down mind. So, because of the cast down mind, they were what? Deceived. Isn't that what it said? They believed a lie. There were lies in the land. There were Nephilim. But the way to overcome the lie is to see the truth about who you are planted in your heart. And what the Father sees you do within your heart is going to manifest in your life. Just like that, instead of trying to have enough faith to heal this lady of shingles, says, you know what? Before you've even asked, he said, yes. Ask, you shall receive so you can be a joyful bride. Isn't that good? All through scripture, prayer is, there's never he's going to, put it this way, everything you've been taught about prayer is probably not scriptural, most of you guys. He's not, sometimes he answers, sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he says no. He says, whatever you ask shall be done so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask you shall receive so your joy may be full. Over and over and over. It's a, God answers prayer, period. End of story, right? So it's not hard. So, all right, so the, the, the deceiver, the cast down mind that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented. Uh-oh, John tells us perfect love casts out fear because fear has died of torment. But now in John, in the book of Revelation, there's torment. So you better say the magic words, you're gonna be tortured forever and ever. Bizarro world. I love you so much, I created this place in case you spite me and don't love me back, I'm gonna to torture you forever. That was my proposal to her when we were trying to win her over. It's nonsense to us when we understand how would a father treat his kids and how would a husband treat his bride? Somehow we're saying we have more love, mercy, and compassion than the source of it all. But maybe scripture actually is beautiful. So let's look at this. So, and death and hell, go down to verse 13, and death and hell, that death and, and hell is hades, where you can't see, Ha is negative and is not being able to see. Hades is literally, it's translated hell in King James and everything else, but it's really Hades. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So let's look at this. All right. So the deception, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Let's look at fire. So the word fire is that Strong's 4442, which is the Greek word pure. In scripture, I'm just reading it right out of Strong's and Helps word studies, okay? I just copied it word for word. Fire. In scripture, fire is often used figuratively. Huh. That's what Jesus said. He said, these things are myths and allegories about the deeper meaning, right? If you read it literally and inerrant, it'll probably kill you, and we're going to cause death out of it, but if you read it as allegory, you're going to find life in it. So what does pure mean? Scripture, fire is often used figuratively, like with the fire of God, which transforms all it touches into light and likeness with itself. So the devil was cast into the lake of fire, and that work is purification, where he says, I'm the consuming fire. I burn up all the wood, the hay, and the stubble, any man's efforts, and whatever it touches is going to be transformed into the same image. So if the devil is thrown into the lake of purification, and whatever is thrown into there, it touches and turns itself into likeness with itself, the devil is turned into what? I didn't say it. Scripture said it. (laughs) You want to send somebody through the roof, tell them the devil is going to be redeemed. So, holy smokes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, right? They didn't teach me this in Bible school. So, Scripture, fire of God. Now, let's look at brimstone. Brimstone's bad, Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember those? But actually, if you read the book of Revelation, it says Sodom and Gomorrah are sozod, redeemed. So what's brimstone? What's this, what's this brimstone? When do we get to kill the bad guys? <laughs> it's a good Christian. So brimstone is the word theon. Now, what's the root there, guys? Theos. Who's Theos? It's God. So Theon, it literally is Theon, 2303 in in Strong's, equivalent to divine incense because burning brimstone was regarded as having power to purify and to ward off contagion. So you're reading this? It says all lies, all deception is going to be thrown into the lake of fire and God's presence. And whatever it touches, it transforms itself into the same image and purifies whatever it touches. Oh my gosh, right? Now, what's tormented forever and ever? See, I told you, we get to kill him in the end. Maybe not, because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you go look at torment, John tells us perfect love casts out what? All fear. Most evangelism is fear-driven. If you don't say these things or accept them before you die, what's going to be happen to you? <sighs> Too late. Told you. Right? Every news going to fall. Sad, actually. Because <sighs> maybe it doesn't mean that. So torment, Strong's 928. And it'll say right there, it says, Bazanizo. But it's from the base, 931, Basanos. Now, what's God talking about? He's talking about a lake of fire which purifies, and he's talking about brimstone which purifies. Doesn't it? Basanos, originally a black silicone-based stone used as a touchstone to test the purity of precious metals like silver and gold. So here's what he's saying. All the lies, all the things that you've believed about me that were incorrect, and everything you believed about yourself that's incorrect is ultimately going to be burned up by my consuming fire and my presence, Theon. And we're going to test you for purity for the ever and ever and ever to make sure that all you see is me as love and all you feel is love because eternal life is knowing perfect love is what John says, right? So how can you have intimacy with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit if you see him as not perfect love? So the fire, the brimstone, touchstone is everything to make sure you can enjoy perfect love the rest of your life. Now, if we read in the narrative, if we go down to the end, it's here, so it says they opened two books. They opened one book, which was the the book, there were two trees in the garden, weren't there? So how many books do you think there are going to be? Two. One who eats from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you're written in that book, what does it produce? The law was given so that distortion and feeling guilty sin would actually increase, is what it says. But the spirit was given so you could be transformed. The Spirit purifies, transforms, right? So if you already understand perfect love and you start to experience him here, 
the second death is going to have no, you're going to be found in the book of life. What if you're not in the book of life? What's going to happen to you? Tells us. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast where? Into the lake of purification. And it's going to burn off every idea and transform itself into whatever it touches so you'll ultimately see him as perfect love and life. Ah, now my name is written in the book of life. The death of death, the death of Hades. All my enemies are destroyed. All you're going to see is love, life, perfection. Get it? Isn't that beautiful? All right, so so you can stand on your feet. Does this help you? It's a little different because I just wanted to show you. I wanted to get rid of this angry, scary God stuff. Follow me? And a lot of you guys, if you grew up like me, evangelical, whatever, all you've heard is scripture is inerrant. And remember the, the sheep and the goats and, and uh, all these stories where they, they're not taking them as allegory, they're taking them as literal. Well, if we're going to take them as literal, it has nothing to do with you and I. It has something to do with sheep and goats. We're fine. The sheep and goats might not be, but we're fine. No, no, it's, no, that's allegory. Well, which one is it? They want to take stuff literal, not it's not. The second commandments are going to be written on your heart. You know intuitively that he's love. And all these scriptures, your head's going, wah, 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 wah. So sometimes when the first time you hear it, I'm telling you, if you hear it long enough, you'll go, I finally get it. And all my ministry, my life, my businesses, everything starts to be transformed. How many of you guys are more free than you've ever been? And don't say it if you're not. I really, it's really amazing that all the testimonies we're getting all over the world, healing and businesses and whatever. So, all right, let's go to the last slide. Because here's, so... The destruction, I'm going to destroy everything that's not of God, anything that's not of love, because that's who he is, right? So all the narratives about destruction and flooding and drowning and purification and lake of fire and kill the Philistines and the Amorites and all these different things about removing all sin, meaning anything that thinks of myself less than a perfectly loved son and daughter. Does that help you? All right. So don't let reason or whatever you deserve and not rob you from your inheritance. How do you, so I don't care what it is. So this lady was dealing with shingles. You moms and grandmas, if your kids had shingles, would you do anything to take their place or heal them? Come on, how, how, if you understand that being an earthly mother and father is what it says, how much more does the source of perfect love understand that? Before you've even asked, I've said, of course, I'm love, I'm life, I can't have shingles. That's a lie, it's a lie in symptoms. Does that make sense? I'm not saying it's not real, it's real to you, it's physical. But instead of begging God to heal you, you just do what these guys did. Ah, I believe I have already received it. So you start to picture a scene where I'm already healed. How would I feel if I was perfectly healed? And you just let that bubble up become, until it becomes real. Because Jesus tells us, Lord, teach us how to pray. Don't use a bunch of words because they think God's going to hear because of your many words. He says, go within. Go into your prayer closet. Go into the secret place. And what the Father sees you do within He's going to see and perform just like a seed is planted in the earth. What you can picture within is exactly what we're going to experience without. It's exactly what happened to this lady, isn't it? She saw herself loved. She saw herself perfectly whole. The next morning, all shingles gone. Isn't that a better way to pray? It's a better way to pray, right? I'm just using testimonies that we've had over the last few weeks. So here's what most people don't believe. So faith does worketh by love is what I wrote. So faith becomes effectual, dynamite, dunamis, power in it when we know we're perfectly loved. It's really hard to have faith when we think he's still angry at us because we'll never feel deserving typically. Once we realize like, wait a minute, he loves me perfectly. He, he's already provided everything that I need for life and godliness. Yeah, all we need to do is put in the sickle of prayer and gratefulness is what it says and we shall receive the harvest now. There's no need to wait, Right? So what if you want a business to do some miraculous things? You see it as already doing those miraculous things. You feel as if it's already real. And the earth brings forth its fruit all by itself. You plant, the Father sees what you do, the mental pictures you create in your mind, and the words you tell yourself. And what you see and feel and tell yourself within ultimately gets deposited in the subconscious. That's why I love the science behind all this. We would call it the heart, the spirit man. What, what scripture talks about. And just like a seed's planted in the earth, somehow what the Father sees us do, the pictures in our mind and the words we tell ourselves within, he sees what you do within. And that will bring forth its fruit miraculously all by itself. No work, no struggle. The Spirit brings forth. 
Isn't that awesome? That's prayer. You guys got it? So what if you, what if you, uh, just some of those testimonies, you're like, what if you, what if you're, uh, you want an increase in your job or your, your salary, et cetera, what do you do? You don't, you don't beg, God, please, 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 please bless me. <laughs> Too late. I've already blessed you with everything that pertains to life and godliness. Every promise is already yes and amen. So how do we do it? You picture yourself as already experiencing it right now. And what the Father sees, it'll come to pass with no effort on your own. All the people, places, and things will come to pass. How many guys have seen that? I've shared all those testimonies where people are, they're receiving miraculous increases in their businesses, jobs, um, houses, houses. <laughs> uh, uh, Abundance, health, joy, restoration of marriages. Ooh, there's some good ones coming. Some really good testimonies coming. People are communicating with me. It would seem impossible, these things, but their marriage is going to be restored. Amen? Really good ones coming. And what are they doing? They're not nitpicking and trying to get their spouse. They're seeing their, their marriage, their, that relationship already whole and restored and feeling as if it's already real, trusting the love of the Father to bring it to pass. That's true faith. Amen? So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. Ah, oh, just thank you that your perfect love, only love, only light. And let us just see that light. Let it shine in every area of darkness so we can receive it. So Father, we thank you for all the miracles. We thank you for the supernatural increases in business. Whatever their heart's desire is, you've already said yes. So let them see it is already done and you'll miraculously bring it forth so we can just be in awe of you and all we can say is, wow, you're awesome, God. You truly love me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hope that helps you guys. If you need prayer, come on up, okay?